0: This is the KPMG Investment Management Perspectives Podcast. In today's episode, we'll review the top five considerations for mutual funds investing in private equity or venture capital. Hi, I'm Matt Giordano, Deputy Practice Leader for KPMG's Public Investment Management Practice. Joining me today is Sean McKee, our actual practice leader for KPMG's Public Investment investment management practice. So Sean, thanks for being here with us today. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about mutual funds who are investing or thinking about investing in private equity or venture cap. You know, we're seeing this more and more as a firm and in, in what we're seeing is that mutual funds really want to invest in some of these structures to help boost return. Sean, what are some of the top things that mutual funds need to consider when investing in PE or venture cap investments.
1: Sure. Uh, so the the first thing is that these these investments uh, price very differently than than public markets. Uh, so the valuations are, are very different, and and you don't necessarily you're not getting pricing service prices. So so that's one area. The the second area is really given the nuanced nature of these valuations is is what resources are available to me to come up to speed on how these valuations are, are performed. Uh, so the resources available to you. Another area you really wanna focus on is uh, who will perform the valuation and how are potential conflicts of interest managed. So obviously the board has responsibility for the valuations and it can delegate uh, some of the, the work to the investment advisor. Um, but at the end of the day, who's going to do the, the valuation? Is it going to be a central valuation group? Is it going to be the investment advisor? Is it going to be a hired valuation specialist? Uh, who is actually doing the work? How it's going to be overseen? Uh, what conflicts of interests arise and how they're managed? Very important. Another thing is what are the fundamental elements to understanding the valuation? What's driving the valuation and and what are all the inputs um, So think of it as inputs, the valuation process, and then the output and understanding that. Another item would be, what data do I need and use in estimating the value? So that's very important. And then a final thing I'll point out is, and this was in the recent uh, Rule 2A5 making, but a lot of talk about calibration, uh, especially for these types of investments and and, uh, valuation. And what is it and why is it important? So understanding that is is important as well.
0: Thanks, Sean. So you mentioned resources, right? And, and every good lumberjack has a great chainsaw to, to move forward. what What do you need as a practitioner for the like gold standard resource? like what, what are the resources that are available?
1: One thing that's very helpful to people is the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants authored a guide on private equity and venture capital uh, valuation. And since we're applying uh, US GAAP as the basis for the fair value determination, it's a very useful guide. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to co-chair the task force that, that wrote that guide, and it just has some really good information in it. Uh, not everything in the guide is going to apply to you, but there's a great table of contents There's a robust frequently asked questions. And then there's a lot of case studies that kind of demonstrate the how you go about evaluation, what's important to evaluation. And then there's an appendix A that actually talks about the valuation process and uh, what are the important elements to a good valuation process.
0: So when you think about the fundamental elements like you had just mentioned, what are the fundamental elements to a good valuation process, and then who should be in charge of that process?
1: Yeah, so when you think about the fundamental elements, I always say step step back and think about uh, what's the investment thesis, and when you enter into the transaction, uh, usually that's a fair value transaction so How was it valued when you entered into it is important to understand. And then you ask yourself, well, do I understand the investment thesis and how the advisor expects to accrete and realize value over time? I want to understand what the valuation methodology is. So if we're using guideline public companies and we're using um, revenue multiples for the – those companies and comparing them to our company that's a methodology i want to understand if we're using a discounted cash flow i want to understand that methodology i want to understand you know once i understand the methodology then i want to understand think about that you know i've got the the inputs the process and the outputs i want to understand what are the significant inputs so if i'm using that guideline public company methodology uh who's the comp set why are they the comp set what multiple I'm using um, are all important elements uh, to that. Uh, Then I want to understand how often are we going to be performing the estimate, and how does that compare to the frequency with which I publish my NAVs. And I want to understand that. I want to understand the process for calibrating the inputs to transactions in in the investee securities. So, if there's a round of financing in the investee securities, what did that tell me about fair value and how that's that compared to uh, how I'm estimating fair value? So, I want to understand that. Uh, I want to understand the accounting for transaction costs because accounting for transaction costs is unique uh, in U.S. GAAP. You can capitalize them. They go into the cost basis of the security, but they cannot go into the fair value measurement. So, Theoretically, one minute after you did that deal, if you paid uh, $9 million for the investment plus $1 million of transaction costs so that you've got a cost basis of ten million million, one one minute after you did that transaction, you actually have an unrealized loss for the $1 million of transaction costs because the, the $1 million can't go into the fair value. So I understand that.
0: Yeah, Sean, that, that was great and a, a lot to take in. Let's go back to the model for a second. One thing that I want to point out that I actually find interesting is when you think about valuation, in your what we're seeing come out of the SEC, whether it's the Office of Compliance Inspections and Examinations or even Enforcement, an area that they will always focus on because it's so important to funds is the valuation of investments, right? Do they exist? Yes. What's the value? So I would say, if you looked back 10 years ago, that a lot of the valuation questions were really around the process, right, the process or the model. And now we're seeing the individual examiners from the staff and others really focus in on, the model and the inputs into the model and whether or not you're changing from one model to another and do you have enough support is there a reason why why you're changing Um, especially during fundraising right i mean that's one you definitely want to talk you you want to document Um, a lot of volatility in the market right now um, and folks are rethinking some of these values any suggestions or or anything that you, you want to point out that folks should really focus on?
1: Yeah, I'd say when you're thinking about your methodology and understanding it, uh, one thing I tell people is make sure that you you focus on um, once you've established your model, go back and compare its output of fair value on the day you did the transaction. If they're not equal, your model's not calibrated. (laughs) So those two numbers – should be either exactly on top of each other or very close to each other to calibrate your model. Um, So make sure that that is absolutely calibrated. And, And then do understand these, you know, what is the process? I talked about the inputs. But then understand the process and what is going to be done with that process, how it's going to be done. Does it have enough rigor? Does it have enough support? And if I'm management, how do I make sure that I compile all that and then report it to the board? And if I'm the board, then it's really around how do I know that uh, I've got the reporting that I need to oversee the fair value estimate.
0: Yeah, great point, right? And all this may change a little with the new valuation rule that was just released by the SEC in the board's duty and the advisor's duty. I think a lot of times when advisors think about um, their mutual fund in investing in private entities, uh, a lot of times it's easy for somebody to look at the totality of the investments in the fund and say, well, this is immaterial. And yet these are the investments that may pose the largest risk in where we see folks run into stumbling blocks or potential pitfalls around oversight policies and procedures so i would really encourage folks to spend some time around with your valuation and around the policies and procedures that go with them also sean i thought you you mentioned a good point about calibration and if you take that almost one step further and maybe in the opposite direction i always tell folks if you want to stay out of trouble and if you want to stay out of the sec's crosshairs when it comes to valuation really think about, well, what could I get for that? What is the exit price? What could I sell it for today? And a lot of times you go back and you look at your models and you justify certain instances of a model not correlating to what's happening to the market or to that portfolio company or that subset of comps. And I would say really focus on exit price if you focus on exit price and calibration and making sure you have the correct model with the correct inputs it'll save you a lot of time and angst later
1: yeah matt those are very good points and i tell you you know one of the things about the fair value models it is based upon that exit price but these are securities that don't trade that often so what you're talking about when you get to measuring it is a hypothetical sales transaction on your measurement date So you not only need to think about your own perspective, but what's the buy side's perspective? Because you have to think about the totality of market participants under the accounting model and how they would value it so that you could get to a good estimate. Um, So that's very important. And then on calibration, uh, the thing to also remember, it's not when you're calibrating your model, you can only do it to observable events. Well, some of these companies have rounds of financing or they have an event in their own securities. And so you need to get the information that is available to you and then calibrate the model because the reality is these are estimates. They are highly subjective estimates, level three estimates. So your model is not going to produce an estimate that's going to be spot on uh, with that transaction. Um, But, you need to recalibrate the model for the new information. So, uh, absolutely, make sure that it's, that you're getting the information that is available to you, and that you're factoring it in. Because, to your point, if you ignore information or you don't get the information that you should, um, then you could have an error in your process.
0: Yeah, great, great point, Sean. Um, we talked a little bit about who performs valuations. So when you think about your clients and folks in a mutual fund context, who are the folks that are really digging into the valuation of these private equity portfolio companies or venture cap companies?
1: Yeah, so I put it in a couple of buckets. Um, sometimes it's just the advisors personnel, um, and that tends to be – or works well for uh, smaller shops, medium-sized shops. It even happens in, in some large shops. Others have a central valuation group. That tends to be the larger shops that may have a central valuation group or valuation committee, um, and, and they may do the valuation. Um, and then there's the question of expertise, right? Do the individuals performing these valuations, do they have the expertise to do them? Um, especially on an ongoing basis, uh, and collect all the information necessary to do the valuation. Uh, and sometimes people will go out and they'll employ a valuation specialist. Uh, so there's valuation firms, not the pricing services, but, you know, your Duff and Phelps, your Houlihan Lokis, people that provide valuation services, that, and they'll hire those specialists. And those specialists will, um, you know, they can be hired to do the valuations. That's more costly modeled. I don't see that as much, but you do see it time to time, especially if there's a, a high risk uh, valuation estimate, they could be hired to, to do the valuation. Our times they're just hired to really look at the model and then come in every once in a while and see how things are going and, and report on how things are going and where the, the, the process is, is working as intended.
0: Yeah, that, that's That's helpful to know, Sean, and as I heard you talk about that, one thing that kind of came into my mind was you can delegate the task but not the responsibility, right? So when you think of the advisor or the board, they're really outsourcing the task or valuation, but it's still their responsibility at the end of the day. And one thing that we generally see around uh, recessionary periods or times where valuations are hard, a couple years later, we see the SEC come in and there's valuation cases. And some of them are brought on policy and procedures. So the 38A1 cases, Um, there's less that are specific to the valuation, but they do occur. It's more about policies and procedures. So transitioning a little, we talked about what to think about when you're trying, when a mutual fund's trying to value these investments, what are the common pitfalls? Where are areas that we see people really stumble?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a couple areas where you really see the pitfalls. Uh, the first one is, boy, this stuff's highly subjective and it's uncertain, so I'm going to be conservative in my valuation. Uh, or maybe I'll just, you know, hold it at a lower mark for a period of time because I just don't know. So I'd hate to write it up. Well, the problem is you're seeing an open-end fund, undue conservatism can be just as bad as as, uh, undue aggressiveness. And so really, you're responsible for that exit price, not at coming up with a discount to the exit price but coming up with the exit price. So you really need to, to follow that and come up with your best estimate uh, and not let undue conservatism uh, rule the roost. The other thing I'll say with undue conservatism is, is you know, sometimes you're buying these securities because they're growth companies. If you have undue conservatism, you'll miss the big, if it, if it hits, you'll miss that big hit. And that could be very problematic. So something that you say, well, it's not that material now, all of a sudden if it grows a lot, it could become material. And if you have undue conservatism, you could miss that.
0: That's a good point because we always think of materiality the other way, right? And I think you see this at, at the advisor level. They say, oh, well, it's not, it's not material. And it's not material at the point we're looking at it, but that doesn't include the growth. And you also hear folks say, well, our investors don't want volatility in the fund. They don't want to see an investment written up or written down just to kind of get back to the, that, that normalization. But the point is, well, that, that's not gap, right? And that's not the rules under 284, and you have to keep that in mind.
1: That's right. And which investors? Because the investors coming in just want to know that it's been fairly valued so that they're starting net asset value is fair.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a good point. And it leads me to kind of my next question. So a lot of times you, you hear managers or folks say, well, I would never sell it for that price, right? Can we talk a little bit about that and the pitfalls that come
1: along with that kind of thinking? Yeah, so uh, the first thing I would say is fair value is based on that exit price um, notion. So you know while intrinsic price or the fact that the manager wouldn't sell it at that price is interesting has some degree of relevance but it it's not the most relevant thing for determining fair value what's relevant is what somebody's willing to pay you on the measurement date because you have to assume the hypothetical transaction you don't get to assume you don't enter into the hypothetical transaction you assume the hypothetical transaction, and what would somebody pay you on that date? So just because you wouldn't sell for what they would pay for does not obviate your need to do the fair value estimate as to what somebody would pay. Good point,
0: John. And another thing we hear, right, is the whole market's dislocated, right, there's a dislocation among the whole market. And the SEC and the FASB have been very clear, right, that that concept just doesn't exist. Can you touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So there there is a concept uh, available around orderly transactions. Um, and you're obviously, it, you assume an orderly transaction. But that doesn't mean that uh, it's an orderly transaction for the environment you find yourself in. So if you find yourself in a period of stress, what's an orderly transaction for a period of stress? How long does it take to market it? How long does it take to get it done? You still have to assume an exit uh, in that distressed market and, and come up with the fair value accordingly. Uh, there's another notion uh, there around uh, significant increase or decrease in the volume or, or level of activity uh, of investing, and that does Uh, allow you some uh, leeway as to how you factor information in, but you still have to factor in market transactions and market information. It's just, it it gives you some leeway if you really have that as to uh, how you weight the information that you have in arriving the value, um, but you still have to factor in uh, market information.
0: So this leads us to another good point and maybe we should try to stay away from the rabbit hole here but you know information in one area that we always talk about around information is did you have the information when you valued the investment or should you have known about this information and in this we see as a common pitfall as well can, can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah so you the information that you're you need to factor into the the valuation estimate is what a market participant would factor in and what would they have available to them transacting in your security. So if you didn't know of something, but could have or should have known about something and had the ability to, then it should be factored into the estimate. So, That's why you need really good processes to collect that information because if you leave that information out, you may have an error in your estimate. So that's extremely important. The way I always like to think about it is a lot of these securities are sold. There's financial due diligence that's done. There's a data room. People can go in and see stuff. If that information would be in the data room and your security would have rights to that, then you need to factor that information in. And uh, that's the way to think about it. Now, certain securities don't have information rights, and that's fine. If you don't have information rights, you only factor in the information that you could or should know. And that's obviously less than somebody that has information rights. So um, you just think about it in that context. But always make sure that you're getting good information information. The best information that you can get based upon what you could or should know so that you're factoring in the valuation estimate.
0: Yeah, incredibly helpful, Sean. And one other point that I'd like to make is some of these private companies that are out there that are held by multiple mutual funds. It's very easy right now for the SEC to look at these values on Nport and compare them across mutual funds and we saw this with you know the the ubers of the world and some of the other unicorns that were out there we increasingly see advisors or sub-advisors look to what others are are pricing at related to these private companies and there has been a little bit of a coalescence of price do you think that'll continue under kind of the sec's big data model
1: Uh, i do think it. Will continue, and I think it's good practice because the the accounting model is based upon a market participant's view, and those other funds are market participants. Um, now you have to ask yourself, how far are they off your valuation? Do you feel comfortable with their valuation factoring in? But it is other market participant views. You know, if there's only one other piece of information you just thought that they really missed the mark on something, uh, then maybe you don't factor it in. But but boy, if there's a bunch of other people out there with it. Uh, then you want to to look at that and understand it because they are market participants and they do have a view and their valuation estimate is that view.
0: Great, John. Well, this was incredibly insightful. Uh, any other last parting words that you would leave our listeners with um, to, to kind of keep them out of trouble when they think about valuation around these sort of investments?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I'd say... Um, Make sure that you get the expertise that you need to assist you. Uh, don't, don't feel like you have to go it alone. Uh, get as many different points of view. And, and the other thing I offer up, uh, especially to board members, but even to management members, if, if you're getting into these investments and you'd like to have a, a training session or a board education session, uh, we at KPMG are always happy uh, to, to work with you to schedule something.
0: Absolutely. And thank you, Sean. Uh, For our listeners, if you haven't already done so, please check out Sean's article about this topic. It's on our website with a number of other helpful links. Thank you for listening to us today, and we hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to KPMG's Investment Management Perspectives Podcast. For more information, go to listen.kpmg.us slash imperspectives. And be sure to subscribe to the series to be notified of new episodes.